Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Welcome to the Hitting the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kyson. Hello, mate. How you doing? Very good. Uh, Rich, I know we say this a lot, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to say it today. I am really, really looking forward to this one. Um, and I know we say that a lot because we are, because we've, we've, we've got people on that we want to talk to. Now, this isn't going to be, obviously, if we're looking at it from a UK point of view, because we do have worldwide listeners, believe it or not. We do have the stats to, to show that. Um, this this uh, this next guy won't be so familiar to the average football fan in the UK. Um, his name is Mark Parsons. He is English. Um, he moved over to America uh, uh, around about the age of 26, I believe, um, or, or maybe just before. He, he'd worked at Chelsea Football Club. Um, with part of the sort of football in the community and, and, and working with the, the academy and, and stuff like that from a young, young age. Um, and, and then he is now uh, Portland Fawns manager. Um, Portland Fawns. So if we were to put Portland Fawns in the equivalent of the UK game, Rich, mm. go on, what would you say? Well, yeah, so... They're sort of like the third best, second third best team in the women's league. So, uh, if you flip it to over here to the men's game, they're sort of like the Chelsea. They're the, they're huge. They've got four, four international women, uh, players who play for the for the USA that that have won the World Cup. Um, who, you know, some of them have got over a hundred appearances for the women's national team. So we're talking the proper the the elite of the elite of the of the women's game which it's an absolute honour to have him on. Oh, we're very, very fortunate. Um, I, I spoke to Mark a couple of months back, um, or maybe a month or two back, um, and we've, we, I've tried to get him on since, and obviously we've spoke with Portland to, to get to, to, to get Mark on, and he very kindly said yes. Um, and and a- absolute, absolute star. So, you know, thank you, Mark, mm. when, when you listen back to this, bud. Um yeah, I've and, already and, got this feeling. This is going to be brilliant. I've already <laughs> got that feeling. Look, when when something I've realised of, of late, and there is podcasts that I've listened to, and a lot of people will know probably what kind of podcasts I've been li- listening to. Um, if we're talking about the elite game and, and elite people, um, and um, I, I can guarantee this will be on another level in terms of the information. And the attitude of someone like Mark. Mm. So I'm incredibly excited to interview him. Um, we know we haven't got too long. He's a very, very busy guy. Um, but, but you know, we take any shot we get. And obviously, it is the morning over there that, that Mark has uh, agreed to. So I believe it's around about 7am. Mm. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, let, 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 let's get into it. Let's get Mark on and let, let's um, have a chat with him. Okay, today we have got Mark Parsons, manager of Portland Fawns in the National Women's Soccer League. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. Pleasure to be able to talk. Excited to, to talk with you. Thank you so much. Um, I've got my co-host Rich here as usual. Hi Mark, how you doing mate? Yeah, good. How are you doing? Probably the more professional of the two. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, Mark, we, we, I was when I came across yourself, I was so excited to to sort of talk to you. Um, your journey. I mean, I, I looked at your sort of journey from where you started, and you're still relatively young. I think you're the same age as me, um, about 33, 34. Um, and uh, yeah, just wanted to. You, you started from such a young age in coaching, so I just wanted to sort of talk to you about your journey to where you are now at the elite level in US sports and, and obviously women's soccer um, so yeah I, I'm really looking forward to this one bud um, let's start with um, the, the first sort of role in management um, and I believe it was with with Chelsea is, is that correct 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, <clears throat> if I go back a little bit, so 18, started coaching with Chelsea, coaching one hour uh, a week or a day, if, you know, depends how lucky I was with the after-school clubs, um, starting in the community, grassroots, just just getting, trying to get people out playing um, and, and couldn't believe that I got to do that and, and then got money for doing it. It's just a passion. I'd, I'd been coaching since I was probably 14, 15, the local, the local town just started to help the younger age groups. And then at 18, found out this was possible, um, developed and, and stayed with football in the community at Chelsea for, for six years. But after a couple of years, then started to work in the boys' academy at the, the youngest age groups, the development centres, feeding into the under nines. Um, you know, now, 10 years on, uh, some boys that I used to work with that are playing in, in the Prem and uh, Reese James, Declan Rice, Oh wow, uh, Connie Gallagher, who's on loan from Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. We take that back. Didn't didn't work with Declan Rice. It would see. I'd see him cross path. We would go out with the, the either the girls um, academy or the youngers on the boys. And Declan would always say, he's the only one every time would say, "Hey, coach, how you doing? Hey, kids. Hey, girls. Yeah. Good day. All the best. Every training session. Um, uh, anyway, Reese James, Connor Gallagher. Yeah, there were six, seven, eight-year-olds running, sprinting around my ankles um, <laughs> in about 10, 12 years. So, so also worked on the girls' side. Uh, Keith Harms, who uh, gave me an opportunity, would put up with my questions, who's become a great friend and mentor. He's done incredible things in the women's game. He's still at Chelsea full-time, but also connected with Reading Girls now and works there um, outside of his, his, his football development job. Um, and yeah, it was started there on the girls under 16s, coached the reserve team, helped and supported the first team a little bit, but, but the main responsibilities was reserve team head coach for a couple of years and also became center of excellence director. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was the Chelsea journey and, and six years looking at the office, seeing Mourinho or Gus Hiddink or Ancelotti or Scolari coaching the first team on the men's side. Uh, it was, um, yeah, absolutely. I felt I felt privileged and lucky that I got the best of everything. I, I worked with three-year-olds up until to senior players on both male or female to elite level stuff where it's all about individual development or team development or mm. social side. Just keep the kids on the playground on a Friday night at 7 p.m. so they're not out causing trouble or getting into trouble. I had the, uh, the luxury of, you know, I don't know, 360 coach and, and really learning what it's about um, before we get to X and O's, which, which is, is probably what often pulls us in, you know, the, the foundation of, of coaching, teaching is, is connection, is relationships, is learning about people and helping supporting people. And I, I feel grateful that I had a six year foundation of getting that from all angles. Did you work with Brendan Rogers at the time? Would, would Brendan have been? Uh, he was, um, he came Brandon. in. I think he was youth team and quickly became reserve team coach. Yeah. Got to watch his sessions. Would have said he wasn't someone that I, I got uh, built a relationship or got close to at any time. If I was there a bit earlier, I probably could have. Uh, or if I had, I think I just got there when he was reserve team oh, yeah. coach. Um, but watched his sessions and he stood out. Um, there was uh, fortunate at Chelsea in the academy. Um, for, on the men's side and the women's side, there's a lot of top coaches. But yeah, Keith Harm stands out. Michael Bill, who's who's still a great friend today. Um, you know, I remember seeing Paul Clement sitting down oh. in the canteen, um, speaking with the U11 coach Michael Bill before his reserve team interview. You know, Michael Bill was really, really well respected across the club, and and now we see what he's doing with Rangers as as Gerard's assistant. Um, he's 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 been every he's been to Brazil. He's come back and. Um, it's exciting to see his journey, but there was yeah, privilege to see and work around a yeah. lot of great yeah. coaches. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that I got to have uh, full access or, or as much access as I would love because you're always busy. Um, but yeah, look out the window. I could literally pick a field and, and see who I wanted to watch and learn from. Um, and it was yeah, incredible. Looking back, I wouldn't change it for the world, even 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 on the soccer camps, you know, summers six weeks long, coaching yeah. kids every day. Um, I wouldn't change it. It, it. It's built. It's helped me become the person I am, and also the coach that I am. Brilliant. I yeah. Mean, who 
who saw better to learn from than all those names that you sort of reeled off? Um, absolutely fantastic coaches in their own right. Um, one question I just want to ask now, I think now is the right point. What made you choose the women's path over the men's path? Yeah, someone asked me that yesterday, actually. I had a, had a catch-up with someone. Um, so I'd say a couple of things. You know, opportunity was, was easier on the women's side. And, and if I'm honest, anyone that let me, you know, I was always trying to open the door and ask questions and learn and study and improve. And whoever opened that door the most would, was going to get the most of me. Um, and, you know, Michael Bill on the boys' side, uh, Neil Bath, the academy director on the boys' side, uh, were definitely two from that, that's, that area. Um, but Keith Harms on the women's side, you know, it was was yeah, probably one of the biggest influences I've had because one, he's a great coach, great guy, great person, but he was willing to put up with me and um, and guide me and nudge me and let me make mistakes. And he was in the women's game. So opportunity and then relationship. Um, and then when I moved to America, definitely, and then this was the way I answered it yesterday when someone asked me, uh, I was open to working on the boys or the, the, the men or the, the women's side. And at the age of 26, I think, um, I was just helping out a reserve team for, for a couple of months in the summer when the college kids come back. Um, I was running a youth club and the first team staff got sacked and, and got offered to, to be a head, head coach of a professional women's team at the age of 20, 26. Um, so again, the answer probably is opportunity. The opportunity yeah. came. And who, you know, who, who, who wouldn't take that opportunity? And God, I don't know if it's Richard Branson, but I love it. I love the quote and, and I would never think of it back then, but if you're never not ready or know how to do a job, take it and learn on the way or learn as you go. <clears throat> I can pretend on the X and O side, I was more than ready and excited. I could, if it's training and on the field and, and all that, and it was, I was going to be fine. But, but it's not all that. And it's much more. It's managing people. It's managing a high performance environment. It's managing staff, scout, recruitment, agents, contracts, um, you know, right immediately take over, take over the Washington spirit, uh, bottom of the league. They probably got four or five players on that, that roster at the time that were good enough for the league. Uh, and yeah, we, I think we tied the, drew the first game. It was like we won the world cup and then lost seven straight. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then the, the vision I sold them when I took over was, yeah, we're going to invest in a stern style of play. We're going to dominate the opponent. We're going to move the ball and, and hurt the opponent with the ball the ways that they haven't in other in a, against other teams. And we're going to be really hard to beat and break down. Um, and if we invest in that, we'll get some results at the end. The, the season was over halfway through the year. We we're bottom away from everyone. But if we invest in that, we'll get some results at the end, and that will kick kick us into next year. My theory was I needed to make sure the ones, the good players that we want to keep the following year, believe in, in the new direction, believe in the style of play, believe in the environment, the culture. But also I was going to need some video when I recruit, I was going to need some video of good football to bring in players that we'd want. Uh, fortunately, we did win a couple of games at the end. This the worst team in the league. Suddenly we invested in that and we, 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 we won a couple of games and got hired as a, not just the head coach, but the general manager of the team. Uh, and, and I've got some of the best U.S. players who's won, won World Cups, Olympics, you know, two or three of them on that team, Canadians that won a bronze medal at the Olympics on that team. Um, suddenly at 26, I'm, I'm running a, 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 the technical side of an organisation um, that, that has some of the very best women's players in the world. And uh, yeah, like I said earlier, did I really know what I was doing at that point? No, but, but the hard work and the... the the constant obsession with improving and helping people and supporting people, um, give it a few years and, and suddenly I, I was doing okay and, and, and found my way on how to manage, manage, uh, yeah, the technical side of a, of a whole organization. And the way I relate it is in business, you could be, I don't know if you're a banker, you could be a great banker and uh, great at what you do. And then you get put in charge of running the whole bank and it's a completely different world. You're not, yeah. now you're not actually banking any any point it's managing and leading and building a culture and environment that's going to bring out the best in people and it's a whole whole new ball game but that but that links to why my move to america at the time i think in the last 10 years it has improved and, and uh, evolved in england but my education so 
uh, up until that point in England had been X and O, X and O, X and O. Got to America and I thought I was going to be really sacrificing a lot of my development initially. And it was the opposite because all the other sports that have had some of the best coaches in world sport, whether it's American football or basketball, I got to see, I didn't understand the sport. So I got to mm. see leaders and teachers um, and what true leadership was and, and, and got obsessed with, with realizing I was so poor or average in this area, didn't really understand that this was important. Um, so I, again, had the football first in, in six years at Chelsea and then consciously or subconsciously landed in a place where now, I, now I'm learning about real leadership and, and building, building a culture with people. What was that like? Because obviously you went, uh, you got hired as head coach. Then they asked you to be the GM as well. So all of a sudden, you're then you're then taking ownership of transfers, contracts, in addition to all the coaching. What was that like? So when I say GM, Richard, uh, I think if you're your director of football, sporting director, um, I would say it was more of that role. It was technical. Okay. Oh, so okay. General manager here would be um, running even the tickets department or the uh, you know, or the whole, the whole oh, wow. business. So, so I did not, I did not run the business side. It was just soccer. So yes, okay. um, it was, let's call it today would be called director football or sport and director, yeah. or technical director um, at the time. Um, so uh, again, had this chat recently is that um, I am through and through a coach, want to be on the field, love the field, love people connecting, helping, supporting X and O's tactics, player development, player development, probably the, the biggest burning passion I have of helping players improve. Um, however, I had to do it in the organisation that I was in. And I, again, I'm so grateful that I did. And uh, the work ethic or and really caring and being a good person, whether I was good or not at the starting point, I just just improved throughout the weeks, months or years of, of having to build relationships with agents the, the scouting the recruitment process. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not just looking at obviously highlights or video. It's all about relationships and, and people understanding what your profile of players are and the type of team you're building because yeah, I, I'd have, I'd have someone, uh, well, I'd, go, I'd share the story of uh, uh, the uh, two versions of it. There was an agent who absolutely knew the profile of team we were trying to become the style of play, the character, and the profile of forward that I that I want. And he had a player that six, seven, 10, 12, 15 clubs. I've got loads of these stories that just passed on the player. They did not like the player. And he, he said, Mark, I know you probably won't be interested. Take a look at this profile. I got back to within 10 minutes and, and, and he knew that I would like a couple of things. I was like, I need more. Uh, I'd love to see more of this. Let's have a Zoom, you know, Skype call at the time. Yeah. Yeah, we brought, and we brought the player in and she taught, taught the league up and, and, and it met the criteria of how we play in that position or how the team plays. Another version of it was, you know, the, the, over here, it's really challenging with the major tournaments. We play, so this year we have the Olympics. We will play through the Olympics and miss our six or seven best players, potential best players for two months for two two and a half months so you build a team that needs to to win championships especially here we're expected to win every game but you're also going to play eight games six games nine games without your top top players so in in 15 uh the, i think it, yeah the world cup year i've i was looking through the countries that didn't weren't going to the world cup because i knew i was going to want i want an international or two that would be present for the whole season and it, I literally sat there and said, Argentina must have someone in, and they're not going to the World Cup. And mm. um, it took me two, three months of chasing down every possible connection, relentlessly trying to find someone who knew someone so I could get a little hold of the, the players and the player pool in Argentina. And I did this from multiple countries. Uh, but this is the example of driving down the highway, uh, uh, whatever, 60, 70 miles per hour, whatever it is, <laughs> and, a, and a WhatsApp message comes from someone, broken English, I'm the national team coach of Argentina. So the next exit, I don't know where I was. I was, I, I, I was driving from Virginia to North Carolina in the middle of absolute nowhere, just like the movies show you. I, I didn't know if I should pull off. I pulled off, you know, replied straight away. I said, can I call you? He said, My, I can't speak English. I can, I'm just translating on text. So I said, look, I've been looking for, I'm looking for a contact. 
And yeah, within five messages, uh, he listed three players. One of them was a, St a Stefania Benini, an Argentinian. Um, get on Skype, start the process, build relationship, watch video. Perfect, absolute perfect number 10. The, the way she, she wants to build a connection with teammates, she gives to the team. She's team first, as well as being this exceptional talent. Um, they, they, I mean, every, in Argentina, everyone gets compared to Messi, but yeah, she was called female Messi and compared to Messi in many different ways. Uh, yeah, we, we managed, we brought her in. She was playing in Colo Colo in Chile. Um, we brought her in. She spent two or three, uh, I, I, I was there for one more year and moved on. She spent two or three years at Washington. She's now in Spain and, and in second place with Levante and, and about to qualify for Champions League for the first time. Um, led captain and led her team in the World Cup a couple of years ago, 2019. Uh, exceptional player. And it's, you know, go on that, that story to share my relentlessness of learning the job and trying mm. to improve as the job without a support system of scouts and a true director of football. Uh, for me, it was game changing because I learn and I just go, just, you know, think about football in the community and always finding a way to help someone or support someone. All those skills come into effect and just a desire to want to want to help the club and the team and also players. Yeah, as Steffi, we talk all the time and and um, any interview she's ever in, she, you know, it's just a lining of the stars. How, how, how different my coaching career could be if I didn't bring her in because she was mm. a great player. How different her playing career could be if, if this club in America didn't um, give her an opportunity or, or that coach, the head coach at the time, didn't text me just to, to, to I don't know how he got my number um, to find a, find a connection. The one thing I've noticed from that is when you said about even from such a young age working in what we call the football in the community, that you're taking those skills and applying them to elite level sport now. I just I just think that for any sort of coaches listening to this and starting at whatever degree is those learning of skills from an early age or an early career can be definitely transformed into later in your career if you ever become as successful as yourself, Mark. Yeah, and I've got, I've got um, I think, a short version of, of a, a kind of a defining moment for me, which sounds a bit dramatic, and at the end of the day, <laughs> it is, it's absolutely not. But it is when, when I reflect... Um, Coaching uh, you know, starts off start off coaching on soccer schools, and then I'm managing the, the, the I don't know what you what they would call then, but the director of that soccer school. I'd be running uh, two or three soccer camps around Surrey in England for Chelsea, and I'd, I'd be dropping in. But I remember when I was when I was first coaching them, and I had some really established community coaches with me, been doing this for years. And what they would do was at the beginning, parents would drop the kids off. And so at the beginning, they were unbelievable. The first 30 minutes, the energy, you know, like I, I got exhausted watching the energy from this community coach. And I was like, wow. And the kids, the kids, this, this, this community coach is God. And, and then the parents would all leave because they've dropped the kids off. And then the coach would just drop down basic exercises, no energy, um, you know, uh, as many breaks as possible, long lunches, lazy coaching is, is another way of saying it. What's going on? And then the, in the last 30, 40 minutes, the parents start turning up to pick them up. And um, guess what? The energy would be through the roof. And, and it reminds, you can look at this from a player perspective or a coach perspective. So what I witnessed there and, and, and I saw it, so when people were watching, they, they were willing to be great. And I, honestly, right then and there, I said, no, I'm, I, I want to be really good for these kids, the six-year-olds, the 10-year-olds. So every, every moment, I'm going to be really good. And what I said to myself was, if their parents were watching me now for these six hours, they drop off at nine, pick up at three. If they were watching every minute, what would they see? And they would be able to hear me. So what would they see from me as a coach? And I wanted them to see someone who cared, who worked hard, who was going to have fun, was going to help every individual in this group of 10, 10, seven-year-olds. And half of them probably didn't want to be there and they wish they were playing rugby or cricket. But I, if they were watching, I wanted them to to know that I was really helping them and not, not do what, what I was witnessing with, from experienced community coaches. When I take that lesson, you know, if I waited and didn't have that lesson then, years and years later, what you realise is the best players, the best coaches, it's not the work they do at training for that 90 minutes, it's not, or the coach, it's not the work they do on the pitch, it's all the work, all the hours away from 
when the lights are off, no one's watching, no one's around. What are you doing? How are you improving? How are you growing? And I felt, I feel lucky that that kind of hit me then and there that I need to be really good every minute, every second. And I say to players, when I speak to academy players here at our club, um, grade yourself out of 10 and, you know, break the game down in Mount Tavares. Just how was training today? And I can be specific with mindset or focus or attitude or, or, or scanning and awareness and, and, and checking for the opponent in space, whatever it is, but just grade yourself out of 10. I was an eight today. Okay. Well, there's a kid here and you, they might be nowhere near you right now. There's a kid here who was a 10 and whatever you want to say, let's just say focus. They were a 10. Well, if they do 152 practices right now this year, because that's how many you got, whatever, at 10 out of 10 and you do an eight, that kid is going to fly past you. And by the time, by the time you see them on the highway, they're coming up and they're matching you. You're going to start becoming a nine or a 10. It's the momentum and the speeds too, because you're still picking up, but they're, they're still moving and they're going to take over. And I, I would say, I'm giving that example to you too. I would say it in a more positive way rather than a don't, you know, in a do this so you don't get caught. It's more of who, which player do you want to be? Same with me as a coach. You start coaching at 18. Here I am at 34 coaching the, the, the biggest club in world football in, in, in the women's game, 20,000 fans um, every, every average every game with, um, I don't know, a, a, Ross, a squad full of absolute world talent who, mm. who's got Olympic gold medals, World Cup medals, <laughs> international caps. Christine Sinclair is the, the, the top goal scorer in men's or women's football. Um, Americans that have come through this club that have won everything, seen and done, done it all, and and are mentoring or coaching presidents of the of, of the United States of America about how to run the country. It, it, I'm here um, working with some exceptional and elite people and elite athletes, and I'm I've only I've only 34. And how and why is it comes back to that lesson: just work really hard and really care and be a good person every day. And whether you're good or not good, you're going to suddenly get better if you're that yeah. committed. It's something that I've, um, again, obviously I'm not at an elite stage, but like you say, I'm still early in what I would call my career after playing. Um, and, and something I dedicate myself to, and, and Rich will probably agree to this, is um, the work that I put in behind the scenes. Um, I mean, obviously it's not going to go to the scales of, of what you guys do. I don't have, um, you know, I, I don't need to go around scouting players for instance and stuff like that I need to work on the group of lads I currently have and and how I can improve as a coach and and something that I felt has been great lately is is actually podcasts um and the sharing of information from coaches and stuff like that and and just taking away things from guys that work at elite levels or or levels above me and why they're so successful and stuff like that um and I just think there's so much information out there and I do a lot of you know we can watch as many YouTube sessions and stuff like that. And there's like coach, uh, coaches, um, voices and stuff like that. Uh, like, like websites. Um, I just, I just, I do put a lot in behind the scenes, which people don't seem to realize, um, to try and improve, not just myself, but the team, um, going back to what you were saying about that, that coach that would do the high intensity training at the end and at the start, and then the lazy training that just seemed to me like a selfish coach. He had no interest in improving those players. It was all about his, what it looked like for him from the outside. Yeah, um, a hundred percent. And and you could say players could do that as well. So is it selfish oh. or, or, or yeah. And, it, and, it, and I'd say yes. Or is it lack of awareness and, and is the person actually really selfish or is it just a behavior they're showing in those moments? Have they been educated? I love, um, uh, the new, the all the previous um, All Blacks coach, uh, Rich might be able to come in here. You've been watching the All or Nothing, can't you, Rich? Yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah, that. Coach, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, means something. Uh, you can find a lot of clips of him talking about like mental skills and work ethic. This is uh, sorry, let's say hard work. It's a skill, and yet some of us are blessed that we had an environment that forced us to develop the skill, or we had. Uh, family background that, that gave us this this skill that taught us this skill um and yeah i think i think for me i wasn't the super most hardworking kid or person and even in football when i played um i think my play my my uh the people that played with me i played at woking academy played a few youth team reserve team games never made it in the first team 
and the amount of people that said, when we're 3-0 up, you are the most talented and best player on the pitch. But that was the only time. And that was the only time I was really interested when the game was easy because I wasn't, wasn't um, hardworking and didn't have that skill. Every, I, I played a low level too long and never had to push. And then suddenly a big jump mean I had to work every day. And I wasn't, anyway, this excuses. I wasn't a hardworking player, but I, coped, I supported Chelsea all my life. I'm now walking, tr- driving into their training ground every day. I was going to do whatever it took whenever, you know, I had that light bulb. I had that inspiration. I had this connection to, to want to commit myself. Um, so I, I, when you say about that player, yeah, uh, that coach, um, I was definitely that player at a point. So is it, you know, is it awareness? Is it, is it um, but just behavior? Maybe they're not. So I have this sometimes. I have a player that will show selfish behavior. And I know they're the most team first player in my group, but the way they're acting to a certain situation. And for me, sometimes it's raising awareness that this is how you're perceived with your behavior. And we just, I know what's in there. I know what you're trying to achieve, but it, it, it's too selfish and too individual right now. And, and they're blown away. What do you mean? I'm not selfish. I, I know you're not. That's why I'm talking to you. But the behavior you're showing is let's change the behavior. Let's still achieve whatever you're trying to achieve and just, just match it with who you are. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, again, I don't know how young that coach was at the time, but it may have been a, a an, an immaturity thing or, you know, something they needed to work on their sort of life skills as they're growing older and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. So, But but that's that's something I seem to have noticed is obviously when you're going through those teenage years into early 20s, late 20s, and some people tend to grow up a little bit later than others and they're, their um, their look on the world tends to go outside of just them, um, and and yeah, so yeah, it, again, it, it, like you say, it could be a number of things. Like you say, it could be a behavioural thing. Um, so let's let's talk Portland Fawns. Obviously, you are now manager. You've been manager since 2016, Mark. Am I yes. correct there? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it. I mean, we just have to go through what we what you guys would call a roster. Um, um, and the players that you are coaching and managing of the most elite status. I mean, you've got um, numerous US stars and internationals with some of them having ridiculous amounts of caps. Um, I mean, tell me what it's like to to coach those elite stars. Um, yeah. I think going into going into my sixth year, I've coached I've coached players from all over the sixth year with Thorns, players from all over the world. Uh, I think of uh, Amandine Henri, French French international, probably one of the best midfielders in the world. Nadia Nadim, born in Afghanistan, moved to Denmark, uh, escaped the Taliban, played in, and, and now is national team player for Denmark and plays at PSG. And we could I could rack off another ten to fifteen. Um, world-class internationals that have been here during the last six years um, and then the domestic base players whether it's American or Canadian um, I, I'm I'm privileged to be able to work with some elite talent and it's same conversation we just having on the on the coaching side the difference between the top players and, and the good players or the good players and the average is 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 the mental side is there is their skill to to or their obsession with improvement, with growth, with learning, with getting better. Um, there's often a big correlation with it wanting the team to be the best the team can be, as well as this desire to be the best individual. Uh, and yeah, while while there's been players that can strike a ball or defend in in, in an absolute elite elite world class way, um, I think the biggest privilege I've had is. I've had world-class people that I've been able to learn from and, and grow from. And yeah, I'm not a player, I'm a coach, but I can still learn about their habits and their standards and their obsession with constant improvement. Um, and yeah, I, I think that through this period, working with all these players, the absolute number one common thing, and it starts with someone like Christine Sinclair, who is the top goal scorer in world football, is um, she is very deliberate and purposeful um, and fully committed every day to growing and getting better. She's 36, 37 now, probably one of the, still one of the better athletes in how she takes care of her body, her fitness levels, 
how she prepares for training mentally or physically, how she trains, then how she recovers after training, and then how she prepares for a game and performs in a game. Um, and I, yeah, I, before coming to Portland, I would look at players like her or Tobin Heath or whoever and go, they were born to play this game. They were born to, the talent was given to them. And then I realized within a very few sessions is their obsession and the way they train, the way they practice, which is becomes a bit of an obsession for them, is the reason they've developed this. So from the outside, they were gifted talent. And on the inside, it's absolutely been nurtured. Maybe they have a bit better coordination or physical attributes than, than, than someone else next door, but they have absolutely committed themselves to being the best they can. And again, we train, we train we're in here for three or four hours a day, five hours a day with the players are with all sorts of things, but we're on the pitch for 90 minutes, whatever, 60 to, to 110 minutes, depends on the day, 120 minutes, depends on the day. Um, if it was just about the minutes they're on the field for, that's not enough. And that's not what these, how these players got to the, got to the top. And, and even in a negative way, I've caught some of my biggest stars. I'm driving home at 3 p.m., 4 p.m. Uh, on an early day. And I'm seeing him at the local park. It's one of the best players in the world training at the local park with a bag of balls. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? And, and you know, we've planned periodization. We're, we're, I'm stressing out. We've got a big game at the weekend. I need freshness. I need energy. And we're a real high energy attacking team. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm working on my finish. I'm working on my shot. Because um, <laughs> you, you wouldn't let me. You cut me. You shut, you, you, you shut me down after 10 minutes extra. I need, I need 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll deal with this tomorrow. But that's just, so there's a tough, tough challenge because they've got there because of that. And then there's the new guy who, who's trying to be, like, I want 97 minutes, whatever it is. I want our intensity and our quality of our actions on the pitch to be optimal uh, every second minute of the game. So I'm trying to prepare a team to do that. And that, that obviously clashes with someone who absolutely wants to fine tune their craft and put more hours in. So it's, yeah, that's the difference. That's been the difference between the top and the good or the good and the average players. Just before we let you go, Mark, I just want to ask one thing for those that might not know. Can you, so I think it's about 8am in the morning over there. What does today look like for you? Um, I was up at, yeah, I was up at six. I'd actually, um, uh, I had to do my preparation because you guys were kind enough to invite me on. Uh, six till seven. Um was preparation 15 minute drive into the stadium i just i just needed to tidy up some leadership group stuff that we're working on this afternoon i've got a meeting with four four players uh, i just wanted to work on some of that before the day got going i finished this in you know when we hang up five minutes later it's the first meeting with the medical team performance team technical technical team on staff uh, we just review where we left off yesterday what's ahead today what is the biggest priority for today what are we shooting for what does everything come off that Okay, then we go into technical meeting, look at all the tactical, technical objectives, wrap that up, and now we're getting ready for the team and the players. That We have a team meeting today. Actually, the leadership group's um, uh, delivering uh, our goals of the season. Um, what will our team goals be? And I've asked that they lead that, and, and the four players that will lead that, it, it's outrageous, right, what they've, what they've achieved in their careers. And and my now let's see. I don't know where it's going to go. I'm not. I haven't been telling them where it's go. I've been working with the team so far, and the big focus has been process over outcome, process targets over outcome targets, process goals over outcome goals. Now you ask a player what's the goal of the season. What they're going to say championship, and it's going to be outcome outcome. So let's see. I I mean we're going to have to tick that box. Players need that. They need to talk about out, the outcome. But my hope, if I've done my job without telling them and hopefully subconsciously, we're going to see some process goals come out of this meeting that we're going to do. So team meeting, then we train, um, we'll be on the pitch at 10.30 till about 12. And then afterwards I get a two hour window and I've got a couple of one-on-one -on -one meetings I've got with players set up at two o'clock. I've got a, uh, so you caught me on a busy day actually, two o'clock we have our, um, uh, set pieces and opposition analysis getting ready for a training game on Friday night. Um, with the technical staff three o'clock is our review of training um, uh, just what was the goal this was the goal did we achieve it yes no periodization 
how did everything work? And we do that, you know, we're meeting after meeting, fine tuning everything. After that, meeting with the sporting, the general manager or the president of soccer, um, with all the staff, we haven't seen him for a few weeks. 5 p.m. leadership group meeting, uh, leadership group meeting, review the work they did in the morning because they've led a, a team meeting. How did they feel? But also I'm, I'm going to work through some stuff. I'm going to work through some scenario stuff with them. These are four very influential players. They're also uh, people. They're also very good players. So the, on the criteria today, or sorry, on the agenda today, are some scenarios. Okay, you're, what, you know, one of you are not starting. How are you going to behave? How do you act? How does the team need you to act? Mm. Let's talk through that. It, and and, and they aren't, those two answers will be apart. Mm. Um, you come off much earlier than you think you should. How are you going to act? And we know all these answers, but, but I'm trying to get ahead. This will happen at some point, And they're in, important, influential people. You come off, how will you act? And they'll say, I'm going to be absolutely furious. I'm like, cool. What are you going to do with your body language? Are you going to welcome the sub in? Are you going to, are you going to walk past me and ignore me? And, and none of them would do this stuff. They, they're brilliant people. But we're going to have some of the biggest games of the season come up really fast. And I don't want to wait to see how we all react under emotional stress or pressure. So we're going to talk through scenarios. The most key part is listening to them digest that. And then I'll, and then I'll say, okay, how do you want me to act if you do that? How do you want me to act if, if, you, if you do that? Um, we go, uh, um, uh, what was the two questions I had? Yeah. Basically, when I'm not acting the best, how do you want me to act in those moments? So I've got one when we're, we're losing in the second half and the staff's, all the staff's energy and body language is different. You know, what's the worst, worst thing I can do in that situation for you on the pitch? What's the best thing I can do for you on the pitch? Anyway, you see that, that the agenda in that leadership group meeting is review of the team meeting but also scenarios. What, how are we going to behave in the moments that are going to define our season um, and just navigate that? So, yeah, I finished that at six, get home. My seven-year-old's going to ask to go outside and ride a bike or play tennis or play soccer um, and then maybe listen to this podcast if you get it up in time tonight. No, <laughs> no, I know it'll be out in a few months, but, yeah, maybe maybe see, see how silly, silly we all sounded this, uh, at 7 a.m. this morning. <laughs> I'll get one sent to you, Mark. It's not a problem. I'll get one sent to you. Um, I know you've got to go, Mark. So we, and we know you're such an incredibly busy guy, like you just said. So we will let you go. But, you know, if we can ever get you back on, I'd love to delve in more because I think the, your whole approach and and it's not just to do with your 442, We're talking about the whole mental side of the game as well. It's something that I'm incredibly fascinated in. Um, um, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, yeah, because I know how busy you are. Let's call, this, let's call this part one. Part two's coming. Yeah. I'd love to get on. Easy peasy, no problem. Fantastic, Perfect. Mark. Thank you so, Cheers, so Mark. much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Good luck with everything. All the best. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, uh, that <laughs> Rich, that was um, phenomenal. Um, I, I did not expect that level of... Um, information that level of you know um what goes on day to day for an elite performing coach um i mean i'm still a bit gobsmacked that we got him on <laughs> yeah um, Gambo, because i'll be honest with you um i was a bit unsure what to expect if i'm honest and as 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 he left the call i just i i did sort of like the head burst him at thing yeah. to you and absolutely phenomenal how open he is about how he is his way of dealing with things. I mean, that that whole scenario thing with the leadership group at the end just completely blew my mind. You saw me going, like, I literally got onto the edge of my seat, like, trying to get closer to him <laughs> because I was like, uh, please tell me more, please tell me more, because I was literally going. The one thing that got me on that last bit was when he said, um, uh, um, if uh, about him, his behaviour, and what you know what would what is your reaction to my behavior which is not in a million years no okay it's going too far but you know would have I ever thought about asking that question mm. I mean I wouldn't he's an elite level coach you know and, and stuff like that but I'm sure there's coaches listening to this going what a phenomenal question to ask your players 
it's proper mind-bending stuff that you can now see the difference in say non-league coaching mm. top level coaching elite coaching elite coaching yeah and the stuff they think about mm. and um i mean there was so much stuff i wanted to talk to him about but again he's you know so incredibly busy we yeah. can only thank him enough for for coming on it's so early there for him as well mm. so he has done that before his day usually begins um, and we will get Mark back on um, because, yeah. uh, like he said, he was happy to come back on because, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, just for the guys, people listening, um, go and take a look at Portland Fawns roster and just look at some of the players, the US players, the Canadian players, the French players, the Spanish players that they have. We are talking the elite in US sports, yeah. women's soccer. So, Something that the guy that that people wouldn't have known about before we started, obviously recording the podcast. Um, Mark kindly um, asked if we would like to see what was outside his office door, and we were sort of like, "Okay, I think I know where you're going with this." So he takes the laptop with him. He walks. What did he say? Maybe twenty meters. Yeah, twenty meters. Twenty meters. And walks onto the pitch of Providence Park, which is home to Portland Timbers and, and, and Portland Fawns, and shows us around the, the wow. stadium. Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, put it this way. If we think about the Man Cities, the Chelsea's, who are our top teams in the UK women's football, okay? I mean, I, I don't know their average gates, but I'm sure it's the low thousands. Yeah. What did he say to us, Rich, when he said about the average gate? 25,000. That's the level that the US women's game is at. Mm. And the acceptance of women's football. Yeah. And the sort of whole community Um, getting behind it. And that's not just the the women's. The men's team get 20 to 25,000 as well. Yeah. So it's so... When we look at, um, I am going to go down this route. When we look at the Megan Rapinoe, you know, look, asking for equal pay, we've got to understand that in in US, I can understand in her sense that the set they get the same crowds, they get the same type of sponsorship, if not better. Mm. And you know, the women's game in America is huge. Yeah. Okay, absolutely huge. So th- probably people in the UK and, and you know this side of the world don't get what Megan Rapinoe is on about. Um, and, because of and the golf over here. Because of the golf stuff. between the Premier League and the, and women's, the women's Premier yeah. League. Okay, yeah. Brilliant steps are being made for the Women's Premier League in regards yeah. to broadcast deals with Sky and, and BBC, which is amazing. Mm. To, to be able to watch league fixtures on the BBC about mm. next year, Rich? Yeah, I believe so, from next season, yeah. Unbelievable. How many people are going to start watching that? Because, you know, it's on free-to-air TV. Yep. Okay. So, look, that's, that's my last thing I'll, I'll say on that. But I, I get what Megan Rapinoe is it's saying. It's all relative. Because it's all relative. Let's let's be honest, Rich. We didn't know that no. prior to our conversation with Mark. No. And, and Mark never spoke about this. I'd just like to point that out. It's something that I'm bringing up now because I'm now realising the size of the women's network and and the women's game in in the US is on par with the men's, hundred percent. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Yeah. Um. So um. So moving on. Um. Uh, what a career! Starting from a very very young age at yeah. Chelsea, working with some fantastic people at Chelsea. <laughs> working well, you know, it, it, not necessarily super. directly working with them. Let, we would like you know, like mm. Mark said, but yeah, it's but that even sort people of like Neil. Like Neil Bath, uh, yes, he, yeah, he was the academy director. Um, what an amazing job he's done, and and all the players that that have come through that system under him, um, and to work with even people like that. And then you know the, that that Keith Harms he mentioned, I I, mm. I don't know to be honest, but he, he sounds like a an, like an absolute game changer for women's football in the UK. Um, yeah, especially at Chelsea, and he's he's had a huge impact on Mark's career. So. Uh, he he himself must be a wonderful man. 
Yeah, un- yeah, hundred percent. And uh, uh, one thing I did point take away from it, which I think a lot of people have recognised lately, is what he said about Declan Rice. Mm. Um, I know it's quite unimportant in what we're talking about in this this episode, but as soon as he said it, I went, "That's exactly how I feel." Declan Rice is like, mm. um, because where he said about, you know, every single morning, hi, how you doing coach? Stuff like that as a young age. And you kind of get that with him now, you know, yeah. you see videos of him watching non-league football and saying, well, you know, what a baller and stuff like that. And he comes across as very respectable in his, in his uh, post-match interviews. You know, he has a laugh and mm. to be honest, he sounds like a guy that just enjoys his life and enjoys people. Mm. I think yeah. De- Declan Rice comes across as a people person to me. Yeah. Um, and you can understand him being future captains of whether it's, you know, wherever West Ham or um, potentially England. I don't know. Yeah, but, but yeah, um, that was just a, you know, a little thing, but, but <laughs> we didn't even need to get on to, which we will try and get onto next time is the sort of philosophies he has because he, he spoke. I think that's how he just generally speaks because, mm. because he's that elite. Yeah. Um, and, and just a phenomenal career for, um, you know, a, a, an English guy um, uh, making his trade in, in the U S um, and, and another thing, Rich, which I, I didn't I didn't mention to Mark at the time because he may not have heard the podcast, but the amount of times we've heard take an opportunity mm. on this yeah. um, podcast from people about about taking those opportunities, whether it's the um, not the end goal that you thought you would do in your career, mm. but he then said about learning on the job, um, yeah. and and I've done that in my personal life. I, I assume you've probably done the same and, and stuff like that and um i just think that's a huge thing to take away from this is is taking that opportunity when it comes yeah um and and, and learning on the learning on the job um but yeah great episode yeah. <laughs> I, i'm gutted it had to end but again we we under we I'm appreciate sure how, how busy i'm, I'm sure there'll be a part two I, I bloody well hope so <laughs> um because i could have listened to him for about two hours um mm. because you know that's the sort of way i'm looking at coaching at the moment in in with that uh, as we've spoken about uh off the pod um so that's been we won't call it a part one um but that's that's been the end of this episode um we've been the hitting the areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and Richard Kyson.